Welcome to the Demystifying Diversity podcast, where each week we explore topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Dara Lise Lyons, and I'm speaking to you today from the stolen Lenape lands known as Philadelphia. I'm Azaria Keys, and I'm also occupying Lenape land. And I'm Zach James, also occupying stolen Lenape lands. We're really grateful to be joining you today for this Q&A of the Demystifying Diversity podcast. Today, we'll be delving even more deeply into the subject of employee by day, parent by day and night, the Consummate Balancing Act. You'll definitely want to listen to last week's episode before listening to this one. Yes, I got so much out of that episode. Same here. Same here. Me as well. I I think it's important to mention to listeners that none of the three of us are currently parents. And so I just want to acknowledge that as we were reporting on this topic and researching and reflecting on it, we're all three outsiders to this particular experience. Absolutely. I noticed that I feel so seen in the episodes that do parallel my experiences. And when they don't, I feel as if I have a window into the experiences of others. Yeah, you're right, Azaria. What you just said reminds me of teaching tools Darylise and I use in a lot of our DEI facilitations, where we highlight the work of Rudine Bishop. She's a well-known educator who talks about the importance of mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors and representation, which essentially means we need to see ourselves and our experiences in others. We need to look in on their experiences as outsiders, and we ideally would have areas of intersection and connection where we invite others to enter into our worlds and we enter into theirs, creating greater empathy and exposure. Yeah, that's great, Zach. I feel really fortunate that, and I've mentioned this before in the podcast, my boss, Lior Eisenstadt, she is a working mom who talks a lot about balancing the duties and demands of parenting and professionalism. And I feel like that's really ideal for working parents to bring those different identities forward. If they're in environments that embrace that and don't penalize people who are parents. Yeah. And as we all know, how employers have historically and how they currently treat fathers is often different how they treat mothers or those who present as mothers. Yeah. That double standard is really sad to me, not just because of how employers can treat women who are caregivers, but how those messages become internalized and weaponized. I just know that there are many women who are parenting out there who feel like they can never win. Either they don't feel quote unquote good enough as mothers if they're not staying at home and baking cookies or whatever the cultural expectations are, or they're not quote unquote good enough workers if they go home to put their kids to bed rather than staying at the office until after hours. That's part of why I think this subject is so important to talk about. Azaria, can you talk a bit about why it's so important to include this subject among our episodes this season? Absolutely. I think being a parent in the workplace has always been this dynamic that has a lot of challenges, but also a lot of beauty. But I think that that of the pandemic and working remotely has really exacerbated that for a lot of people. So it feels very relevant to talk about juggling being a parent, specifically for women being mothers. We talk about that a lot in the podcast, that there have been a lot of challenges that have come from trying to do that and also trying to stay home and work remotely and be with the kids and teach them. And so it's very relevant for the times that we're in. And that is why we need to talk about it. And a follow up. Can we talk about how the three of us might relate to this topic, given that, as Darylise pointed out earlier, currently none of us have kids. So how has this episode impacted our understanding of parents' experiences? 
I will say I relate to this quite heavily because I was raised by a single mother who had crazy work hours and she was raising myself and my sister who is also someone who lives with a disability. So there were all of the medical issues and hospitalizations that my mom had to juggle pretty much by herself. So throughout this entire episode, it really just validated how amazing my mom, Laura Johnson, I love you, how amazing my mom is for all that she did and all the parents out there. So it was just an affirmation of something I've already knew through watching my mom raise me and my sister. Mm, that's really beautiful. Azaria, we talk about this behind the scenes, but you and I have so much in common. I was also raised by a single mother and getting to speak with her throughout the course of the reporting that I did for this particular episode was really impactful. And my sister was born 12 years later than me. And I think it was interesting to talk about some of the differences in expectations and cultural norms, right, around parenting and what societal expectations have been and how they've evolved. And so I would say that for me, it gave me a ton more respect for the people that I know who are parents. But it also gave me an awareness that I think there should be more social responsibility around taking care of young folks and just taking care of, of those who are in need of care. Because I also don't know that it's fair for those who aren't parents to bear the brunt of the workload. So it just really made me think about how in certain societies where caregiving is taken on as a social or civic responsibility, like how people aren't forced to choose and how there's not this inordinate pressure put on parents or put on those who don't have kids because the expectation is, oh, well, you don't have kids, so you should have more and more and more time for work. And I'm curious, Zaria, I know that you selected a number of the guests for this episode. How did that process happen? Well, I was really excited when through just searching Fox and Temple faculty member directories, I found Lori Wu because her research is specifically talking about parenting. And that is, it's rare to find research that the title of the research paper is literally the topic we're covering in the episode. Yes. <laughs> so that was great with Lori. And then Leora has really been vocal about her prioritizing herself being a mother while also being a great businesswoman and that she's not going to sacrifice being a parent to her kids for any reason. And so she's been really vocal about being pro being a parent in the workplace and talking about it. And so she has a lot of peers and colleagues who share that sentiment that she was like, oh, I know this person who talks about parenting a lot and works in higher ed or works at this place. And she just called on her network to bring in those voices, which I thought was great because it brought in people who are very passionate about this because they talk about it and make a point to talk about it at work, out of work. So that's how we chose the different voices from our side of things. Yeah. And I want to shout out to Stu Kraintz, who works on this podcast and does a lot behind the scenes, who was willing to lend his voice to the conversation to talk about his experiences as a step parent, because I, I think that for him, moving from being a single person to a step parent in a pretty short period of time, I think it was an interesting perspective. And there were just so many great voices on this episode. And I learned a lot. And I want to know from the two of you, what were some of the more impactful moments and stories and takeaways from this episode? One thing that was interesting to me and impactful for me, I mean, 
I'm not inside the mind of a, a parent. I'm not a parent. Darius, you know my story a bit. Me and my wife have been on a fertility journey for over five years. So I have a lot of assumptions of what parenting is like. And I'm an entrepreneur who has three or four different jobs and each job has its own share of clients and I work a ton. And in my mind, I just think when I become a parent, I'll just cut back on some of that work and I'll be the best dad possible. And when I heard someone say on the podcast that there's a really significant percentage of parents that feel like they're failing at home and work, that it doesn't necessarily, even if you try to to lessen your effort in one area to make up for the other, you're still at an imbalance. It's very hard to be great at parenting and at your job. And that's unfortunate because my job is my life. I work so many hours and I know I'm going to change and cut back when I do become a parent. But to then think that I would feel inadequate or that I'm struggling in both areas, that was one thing that I was like, I didn't know that that was the case for a lot of parents. And again, I know both scenarios can be difficult. Parenting is not easy. Majority of professions are not easy. But to know that a lot of folks have problems struggling with doing both and juggling it makes me wonder, will I be able to do it and be successful? Will I really be the best dad I think I can be? Or will work fall off so much that it becomes a burden and difficult and this company I've built over eight years is going to start to crumble? I start to think about those things after after listening to this episode. Thank you for sharing that, Zach. I think something that stood out to me was just the discussion around companies' paternal leave policies. I think it was Natalie Peterson who had said that some of these organizations are offering what seem like great policies, but then if I as an employee choose to take that, sometimes I come back to consequences of maybe someone questioning if I'm actually committed to the organization or I took advantage of this time off, but now I can't get promoted as quickly because again, my commitment comes into question. My my stamina and ability to withstand the different seasons of the organization and the role become questioned. And I think that that felt really unfair. And it also just spoke to an issue that this still is problematic, right? Like even if policies are being put in place that allow more time, we have to really change the culture around, okay, but when someone uses that time rightfully so, how do we treat them while they're off? How do we treat them when they return is something that I would be nervous, depending on what company I'm working for, to take advantage of their time off if I'm reprimanded for it in X, Y, and Z ways when I return. So that was something that was really a lasting impression for me. And it it really made me feel bad for people who are in that predicament. Darylise, what about you? Similarly to Zach, and Zach, thank you so much for sharing. And Azaria, thank you for sharing your reflections too. It made me get really real about my own situation. And I think I want to say limitations and choices. So I'd been considering single parenthood and this episode made me not want to do that, actually. You know, that's that sounds real. horrible to say, but it really made me look at my priorities and just how being someone who is alone. Like I have so much respect for the examples of single parents, including my mother and all that they sacrificed and all that they've done. And I don't know that I have that in me. And so I did feel like this episode was actually pretty life-changing in a really great way. I'm so glad that we got to report on it, but just realizing that parenting is a beautiful journey and it is one that has a lot of costs associated with it because of how society is currently structured and and being self-employed, it's, ooh, is that a journey that I could 
responsibly embark on. So I really, I got a lot out of this episode, even though it was actually, I would say painful and a little bit shattering, but it was, it was good. I'm really glad that we did it. And I hope that listeners got a lot out of it too, whether it inspired them or caused them to pause and reflect or whatever. Like I really, I'm really glad that we did that. These past few years have really illuminated how important it is to care for our health. The place where I go for all my health and wellness supplements is Vita Supreme. Vita Supreme uses all organic ingredients and has a wide range of supplement options that can help with immune support, heart health, energy, mental health, pain relief, sleep, anti-aging, digestion, diabetes, and more. Their products have helped me reduce joint pain and increase vibrancy. And if you read their online testimonials, you'll find glowing endorsements from their customers who at every age and stage of life are feeling better than ever. Vita Supreme believes that health radiates from the inside out, and I can tell you from personal experience that their supplements have made a positive difference in my life. To receive 10% off your first order, go to vitasupreme.com slash pages slash diversity. Your discount will be applied at checkout. There's no code required. Also, as a special offer with your first order, you can receive a free 15-minute coaching session with one of their wellness experts to find out more about what you can do to improve your health and your habits. Just send your name and preferred contact information to support at vitasupreme.com. Once again, to get 10% off your first order, go to vitasupreme.com slash pages slash diversity. And to receive your free coaching session, email support at vitasupreme.com and tell them the Demystifying Diversity podcast sent you. Through innovative and dynamic educational initiatives, Temple University's Fox School of Business provides students with real-world, local, and global business opportunities. At the Fox School of Business, you can choose from a wide range of undergraduate, graduate, certificate, and continuing educational programs. Whatever your academic and professional path, you'll learn practical strategies for workplace success at a university that is committed to encouraging and respecting diversity in all forms and perspectives. The Fox School of Business, which includes the Center for Ethics, Diversity, and Workplace Culture, has built an inclusive, welcoming environment where everyone is emboldened to reach their full potential. So if you want to be in a learning environment that will empower you to cultivate your capacity for empathy and profitability, go to fox.temple.edu slash DDP for more on how you can learn from world-class DEI-focused faculty and become an inclusive leader in the workplace. So if you want to be in a learning environment that will empower you to cultivate your capacity for empathy and profitability, go to fox.temple.edu slash DDP for more on how you can learn from world-class DEI-focused faculty and become an inclusive leader in the workforce. With options for students and professionals at every stage of life, including undergraduate, graduate, certificate, and continuing educational programs, the Fox School of Business has something just right for you. So make sure to check out fox.temple.edu ddp to learn more. One moment that really stood out to me was I got to sit down with Rocky and Jeff Maynard and Rocky talked about 
with her first child, her daughter, Nandi, watching her get long in the bed. That was something that really stood out to me. This idea of, okay, yeah, I could kill it in my career, but I might not be there for those precious moments with my child. So I wanted to get your reflections on those experiences of people feeling like they had to kind of make choices and prioritize different things at different times. Yeah, I mean, I I fully get it. And I'm fortunate that I'm an entrepreneur. And to some degree, I can create my own schedule and calendar to work around all the issues that I've dealt with. Everything from, again, on the fertility side, how many doctor's appointments we've had in the morning to taking care of my mother, who's now in an, an assisted living. The process of converting to that was everything from her doctor's appointments working on her her house that she had to vacate. I put a lot of hours into that. And I have a strong feeling that if I had a nine to five, it probably wouldn't have went as smoothly as it did. And I feel for people who are in that scenario who have to deal, whether it be circumstances with children or with parents and how they're able to cope or the difficulties they have coping with that and interacting with their employer. It can be tough. I'm so glad you brought that up. And Azaria, I wanted to ask you, you know, according to the American Time Use Survey, which was conducted by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, the average working mom spends a little over 21 hours a week doing housework, which compares with about 15 hours spent by the average working dad. And so I wonder, to Zach's point, like how much gender plays a role in a person's ability to navigate these things? This is just my personal opinion, but I've been a part of several conversations where there's this thing, and this is not a hit at dads, but numbers like this point to it, that we know that statistically, like when there's a decision between who sacrifices career goals or maybe has to leave their job to make sure that the family's taken care of, that typically falls on the woman. And so I think that there's just this societal expectation that a woman doesn't really have that opportunity and support to just say, I can't do this or to fall short of cleaning the house and doing everything else. Because there are many instances where it feels like if the woman isn't doing it, then oftentimes because of how society has built men to be the breadwinners. And that's the expectation that if the woman's not doing X, Y, and Z, then it falls through. And the way that I've always looked at motherhood is that a woman doesn't get to really make the mistakes or have the flexibility or the freedom that perhaps her male partner does once children are in the picture. And again, that's me coming from a single parent household where my dad not being around, my mom could never just do that. She had to be there, right? I think gender numbers prove, I mean, it was Lori who said something along the lines of 40% of women are leaving their jobs because of maternity leave policies, right? And I would be curious what percentage of men are leaving their jobs or other gender identities are leaving their jobs because of the parental leave policies that are in place. So it's really interesting to think about it. There's not acceptance around mothers messing up or mothers not getting it right, or it has to be done, right? And it seems to usually, and I'm biased because I'm a woman and I've already thought about I think about these things when I think about becoming a mom someday. So I know that you almost just have this maternal nature that like you're going to do anything and everything to make sure your kids are okay. And that's not to say that fathers don't have that as well and other parents don't have that. But statistically speaking, we know it falls on the women to make some of those other things happen. And yeah, coming home and working 
a ton around the house is a job in itself and raising the kids. So gender plays a huge role in it. I think one of the things that I haven't seen develop or or heard develop over the decades is equality across the board. I think equality when it comes to the workplace has been something we've been fighting for for years, equal women's rights, but even more so when it comes to equal pay and opportunities and work. But the same equality when it comes to taking care of kids hasn't really gone the other way for men or at least hasn't been a discussion point. So I think stuff like this helps it become a discussion point. But I think that's probably where a lot of the crux of the issue has occurred. I mean, a hundred years ago, if the woman was taking care of the kids and focusing time there, that was fine. They weren't really tasked with being the breadwinner. That was usually the man's responsibility. So now that the playing field has been, it's not equal, but it's trending towards being equal now on that front, it should also trend that way at home. And it really hasn't. So I think that's a big crux of of the issue. Hey, listeners, Zach here. Darylise and I are so grateful you've tuned in to season three of the Demystifying Diversity podcast. You probably know by now that we've partnered with Temple University's Fox School of Business to bring you this special season dedicated to DEI in the workplace. With that in mind, we ask that you send us your work-related DEI questions by calling 844-888-8148. Just leave a message with your question or send us a note through our website, www.demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. As always, we'll be joined by some amazing guest experts and thought leaders who can also weigh in on whatever questions you have. Again, the number is 844-888-8148 or message us through our website, demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. Who knows, your voice or your question may just make it into one of our Q&A episodes. Happy listening. Darylise, let me ask you, was there anything else that didn't make it into this episode that you probably would have wanted to include? I would say, I mean, this is horrible, right? But everyone that we spoke to was really glad about their decision to parent. And I know that those are the conversations that are often had, but there are people out there. I read a book called The Baby Decision earlier this year, where there were people who were joyful and exuberant about their decision to parent, and then other people who were not so joyful. And I know that we were doing some of this reporting in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade. And I feel like there's elements of the conversation that we didn't go into because of a lot of social constructions and because people who talk a lot about parenting and working tend to be people who are really positive about both experiences. I would have wanted to maybe interview someone who was staying at home and didn't want to be and wanted to be out and working in their career or maybe who felt they had to be at work where they would have wanted to spend more time parenting. So I like I would have liked to get more diverse stories, but I think it was just hard to fit all of that in. I definitely think there are so many ways this episode could have gone. And for me, clearly, I'm stuck on this idea of companies' policies <laughs> and Zach sharing his and his wife's fertility journey. Maybe a future episode could be jumping into the granular parts of these policies, especially, and I do air quotes, like the unconventional policies, right? So you think of like maternity, paternity leave, but then what about people using benefits for infertility journeys, right? And IVF treatments and all of that. And then specifically with infertility journeys, there are times where it works and then times when it doesn't and it's back and forth and it's like a yo-yoing effect. And 
It reminds me of some of in the episode brain and body diversity when people were talking about the fact that someone with a disability, it's not static, it's fluid. Some days I can show up feeling great. Other days I can show up feeling terrible and I need my company, my my leadership to ebb and flow with my my situation around these policies. How do companies ebb and flow when it's not clean cut? Okay, I just go to the hospital, take off this time, have my baby, come home, and then I start working in an X amount of months, right? So I would love to dive in a bit more to the unconventional policies, the adoption and how long of a journey that can take people. And sometimes I need to leave the country if I'm adopting out of the country and make multiple visits. Is there flexibility and willingness for my leadership and the policies that are in place to support me through the ups and downs of some of those different ways of becoming a parent. So I'm very fascinated with the policies that organizations have and would want to have multiple discussions on some of those ones that you don't hear about as much. So I think now would be a great time to move into our expert interview section of the Q&A episode. For this episode, I had a chance to sit down with Lori Wu, who as Aria mentioned earlier. Lori is an assistant professor in the Department of Tourism and Hospitality Management at Temple University with a research and teaching emphasis in consumer behavior and services marketing. In particular, Lori's research focused on service experience design and management, as well as technology and innovation in service industries. And she has done a lot of research research around maternity and parental leave policies. So we'll jump into Lori's interview and then all three of us will come back and discuss. We demystify diversity, making work safe for you and me. Shoulder to shoulder we embark, invite the light to send the dark. Let's embrace one another, single colleagues, working mothers, people of all points of view. Can we see each other through? So, Lori, I know we have met before, but I'd love to just ask you to introduce yourself and tell us about the work that you do. My name is Lori. I'm Associate Professor in the Department of Tourism and Hospitality Management at Temple University. A line of my research is focused on FMLA policies and especially female employees' experiences and focused on the hospitality and tourism industry. Yeah, I love that. And how has your work changed you? Well, actually, a group of us that are all hospitality working moms, we got really interested and excited in this research topic as we communicate with each other. And we thought that it's a very interesting and very important topic to look into. And when I first stepped into this research area, I didn't know the type of impact that it would have on me. I never expect that there is so much that we can do about it. And there's also so much of positive spirit and energy that I will be able to get out of it. I think definitely the more that we talk with each other, as well as the more we talk with the frontline employees and female leadership out there working in the hospitality and tourism industry, the more we understand how important it is and the more we are aware of the bigger picture out there and the need for more attention and sharing on this issue. 
I think there's this general sense of this work-family balance could be challenging and could be, however, at the same time, be beneficial for your career development. And I think we need to have more advocacy for both sides of this phenomenon there to keep all of us going. I would agree. And I love, thank you also for adding the personal element that you are a working mom, which I think gives you personal and professional experience based on your research. And I'd just like to know, Lori, how has in a tangible way your research influenced your parenting and then how has parenting impacted your work? I think I will focus first of all, I think on the first part, I think we did several research to date and we're still continuing on this line. And I think our purpose on doing this research is trying to understand what organizations, individuals and associations can support each other and support individuals who are going through this very critical phase of transition into parenthood. And during this process, I actually see that there's really the need of social support. So besides organizational support, policies, and really more tangent and tangible support for individuals, but how employees and supervisors and managers can support each other, can support people of need is critical. And I think after and throughout this research, we are becoming more aware of this issue. And I think it's definitely putting not only myself, but also all of us trying to be more available for people around us. And when we see that someone who's going into parenthood, we would let them know that, hey, we're around just in case you need any help, you need any support, you need any information, anything, just let us know and we're here for a chat. And also I think having that information and being more open to share that with that's another thing that I've changed. I think that's not something that previously I would talk a lot about in my classes, but I think having that conversation earlier is definitely going to be more helpful before certain individuals as they gradually get out of the school and then also get more mature along the way of their professional development. And you mentioned your research. I know we referenced your research in the previous episode, but I would just love for you to share some of what is the work that you're doing in research. Who are you researching and what's the scope of the study? First of all, I think one thing is that we focused on is the FMA and the hospitality and tourism industry. So one line of our work looking into women employees' experiences going through FMOA as they navigate into their new worlds, right? You think about your own personal world as one sphere of your own world. And also you have your own social world, your own families, your friends, your loved ones. And you also have your own professional world. Now, all these different spheres interacting together, they're all going to taking up your time your energy, right? your dedications, and how are female employees going through this critical phase of transitioning? What are their experiences like? First of all, that's one research that we address that. And the other research we look into, how does it really help them grow? and develop as working professionals and providing them new inspirations as they work further to develop leadership skills. So these are the two lines of work we're working on. And another line of work that we are continuing to work on is on female leadership. So moving forward, how can we further advocate for female leadership in the front line of hospitality and tourism industries? And what can we do to support each other to get it going and to hopefully we will see more leaders in our industry? 
Because one of the major phenomenon happening in our industry is that when you take a look at, at the gender ratio at the front line of service employees, you see majority of the employees being female. But now if you look at the top leadership roles, take a look at the C-level gender ratio, the number flipped. We've been talking about it, and this conversation is going on not only among research collaborators, but also among industry leaders as well. What can we do? How can we change that? And how can we help female employees to be more successful? And maybe one thing is that be more supportive through these critical life-changing phases and also provide more support so that down the road, work-family balance can be more sustainable for them as they strive for leadership opportunities. Yeah. And there was so much that you said there that I just want to highlight for listeners. I mean, so it is not just women who are caregivers and parents. And yet I do think that there is something particular about the experiences because of the nation that we live in and the expectations around gender and the various constructions of gender roles that really makes it so important to bring narratives of women employees to the forefront. Because there are different stories of parenting that are told in a workplace, I would say, for parents who happen to be male versus parents who happen to be female, right? And yes. so, yeah, like, what are you finding around those? Our focus, first of all, is on the female's perspective as compared to the other gender roles. And you are definitely right. I think today, as we move further down the conversation, I would like to put more emphasis on parenthood, of, of course. But I think with regard to our research findings, what we see is that females definitely, from women professional perspective, going through this critical phase of transitioning through maternity and through early parenthood, it's a critical phase that they experience a lot of challenges. But what we also see is that they are learning and we are learning through this experience. We're able to better communicate given the increasing interactions of different spheres of our world. And in addition to that, better time management skills, because taking care of a young one takes care of a lot of your time, right? So you need to think about ways to work smart rather than work hard. And in addition to that, it's also about this meaning, this inner drive for you to be now you are a mom, right? You are also a role model for your child. And I think that also applies to other parents parenting situations, right? For fathers, it's the same, right? And also, I think this is a critical phase where organizational support, in addition to these individuals' own efforts, will be able to help them grow. And it's also these positive energy that they're able to take out of this parenthood experience will be able to transfer into the workplace. Better communication skills, better leaders in communication spaces in the workplace, right? Better time management skills allow them to work more efficiently in the workplace and so on and so forth. I think there's definitely this energy that we're able to take out of parenthood into workplaces and for further development and to better develop ourselves and better develop our organizations. Thank you so much. And so, yeah, so what if a person is a parent, whatever their gender identity, if the man, woman, non-binary person, whether they biologically had that child, whether that child has come to them through fosterhood or adoption, what is something that that person who is a parent or a caregiver can do to feel better equipped to manage and to balance parenting and working? I think that's a great question. And it's such an important question that I think 
everyone is different, but I think sharing the different individual strategies and approaches to this so that we can help each other to grow smarter and on this path is so important. I think the number one most important thing to me personally, as well as seeing in prior research, is about setting boundaries. And by setting boundaries, what I mean is that, as I talked about earlier, every individual's life is different. What family is, what parenthood is, the gender role definition-wise, is also different for every single individual. But regardless, we all have our own spheres of our own individual personal life, right? Besides being a mom, besides being a working professional, I also have my own individual identity. So I have my own individual sphere. I have my social family sphere, me as a family, me as a partner, me as a dear friend, and also a loving daughter in support of my parents' health, right? Now, in addition to that, we also have our professional life. All these different spheres come with obligations, responsibilities, and also time commitments. And for every individual, interactional processes or also how you and your partner and also your family are able to support each other is also different. So I think having a conversation with people around you, with your professional support, as well as no matter it's your supervisor, your supervisee, your colleague, your family members, your friends, even the educational providers of your children, right? Having these open conversations with them so that you're able to understand what your role is, yet how you're able to gain their support to get everything going. I think that's very important. But at the same time, setting boundaries, meaning that when is your time committed for which sphere, which one of your role, and what is the time for you to say, hey, it's probably time for me to say no. It is probably time that I've done definitely my responsibilities. And now this is the part that I probably cannot handle and I need help. And it's okay to ask for help and say no in certain situations. And for that, whether your gender role is female, male, binary, and whether this family situation or the parent comes from love or comes from biology, I don't think it matters. In the end, I think it's about working together across different spheres and get it work out for everyone. I'm reminded of how historically, there's that quote, it takes a village to raise a child. And I'm thinking about the social structures and how they come together to promote situations where parents can have healthy boundaries versus certain social structures that make that incredibly challenging. You're very right. And in the course of your, because I know a lot of the research that you did was speaking with individual people, Lori, Mm -hmm. about their experience. So could you give an example of a participant's experiences where there was a lot of social support and how that alleviated some of their burdens? And then maybe an example of someone who was speaking about how there wasn't that social support and contrast those two. I'm so glad that you asked this question. I think there are so many different like stories, but they're all equally powerful in terms of their experiences through this critical phase. I remember individual female employees sharing with me the experience of they are going through this critical phase, but they do not want to give up the opportunity for further professional development. They do not want to give up a possibility in leadership roles. So this is where their supervisors, their managers actually reach out to them and they feel so touched. And this is especially a manager would come to you in the position that, hey, 
So I want to have a conversation with you. And this is not only a manager to supervisee kind of conversation. I'm also a female employee in the industry and I've been there. So I want to have a conversation with you to talk about some of my own experiences and see if this is the time for you to want to transit into some of the back of the house roles that maybe better will work out better for you time-wise, shifts-wise to balance everything. And for that individual, that conversation was really encouraging for her. She knows that my manager cares about my professional development and there is this level of empathy, this level of care that make you feel like this is truly a family and I can lean on someone else to help me grow further in this organization. And being a parent and becoming a mother does not drag me down. And I think that kind of support, that was one of the very powerful stories that I've heard. And in addition to that, there's also a lot of different cases where the partner would say, hey, dear, this is your time to grow. And if needed, I can take the time off and I can be at home to support you. There are also families, mothers who are coming in and say, hey, this is a really precious time. I want to spend more time with the little one so I can help out. And friends as well. I think all of these social support, these stories remind us about the power of love. And essentially, it is love that holding families together and holding the society together. And I think to that end, it's really so important that we together working as a village to raise a child. Thank you so much. Would you give just for listeners a counter example or story of something that you heard where it's, yeah, those dynamics are why it's so difficult to juggle parenting and work in some environments. You're very right. And I think not everyone is fortunate enough to have that kind of support. I think, first of all, we need to be mindful of that not all individuals or not all organizations provide equal amount of leave or policy support for individuals going through parenthood, meaning that for certain individuals, the paid support or unpaid leave is much longer than others. So for these individuals who don't have such of a precious time to take the time off work and dedicate on recovery and dedicate on taking care of the younger one, they need more support. But there are also cases where they probably don't have loved ones to support them and they don't have loved ones to take care of them. And in addition to that, they're comes financial consequences, right? When you have to leave for work for a certain period of time and where there's health complications there, and all together you have to do calculations and methods and to figure out if I put the kid into caring facilities, right? Versus I go out to work. Now, which one would make more sense for me financially? And even if there are health reasons that might be better for the individual to stay home and recover, they just don't have the financial resources. They don't have the situation does not allow them to make that decision. I think for these situations, they definitely, there are a lot of those, and this is a particularly challenging situations where I think there needs to involve a wider conversation about how society overall, how other functions can come in to help people out. 
So this Q&A is connected to the episode that we did, employee by day, parent by day and night. And so I think it is so important to focus on the experiences of employees who are parents. But I also want to shout out that when you were talking about boundaries and self-care and support, that's also important for people who don't have children. And so I'm just curious, Lori, childless coworkers who maybe maybe they're childless by choice, maybe they're not in the phase of their life where having a child makes sense for them, or there's a lot of people going through IVF or fertility issues at the moment, right? And so what is something that childless coworkers can do or child-free coworkers can do to feel like they're supporting their colleagues and getting their own needs met and feeling like their needs are legitimate even if they're not taking care of anyone else, right? So how do those people navigate? I think that's a great question. And to be honest, for whether this I as an individual working in this professional setting, whether I have child or not, whether I have a family members to take care of or not, I still have these different spheres of worlds around me. I still have an individual sphere of my own personal identity that I need to take care of. And I think that self-care is more important, right? If we are not reminded of that through the past three years, I, I don't know what will be the more important and more loud messaging out there. You need to commit time for health. You need to commit time for not only your physical health, but also for your mental and also for your spiritual health overall. And I think for that, actually, a lot of childless employees or childless individuals, they're actually committing a lot of time and they're willing to commit more time to support their coworkers who have children or who have family obligations, right? That's this is really a very big shout out to all these individuals out there. But I think at this time, it's important for them to be reminded of their own needs as well, their own time need, right? So it doesn't mean that when I'm childless, I would have to go in, right, to make extra commitment, to make time. I don't think it's fair to ask of anyone because of that. And so I think with that regard, setting boundaries and understand what my needs are and what my off time is, I think it's so critical. And especially right now, because you can work from anywhere, right? You don't have to come into the workplace, and then but you can dial in through a Zoom call. And this is where the boundary can be get blurred a little bit between whether this is my work time or whether this can be off time and now I can commit to other time needs of mine. I think it's definitely for all individuals out there, we need to be reminded of the need of self-care, of the need of our family's needs, of the need of our own professional obligations, and altogether finding out a balance that we can say no to, right, certain requests if it's too demanding, and set boundaries. I think that's the most important thing. And I just want to say it is possible to renegotiate boundaries. In the beginning of my career, I had really bad boundaries. But in time, I've learned what does and doesn't work for me. And I've been able to express that to others. So for anyone listening who feels like, oh, goodness, I could never put those in place. I think it is possible to do that when we talk about that in some of our other episodes this season. Laura, you mentioned in the hospitality industry at the top levels of leadership, it being primarily male. And I'm so curious, like, 
what can employers do and industries do to support working caregivers, especially working mothers, so that the gender diversity or the diversity of people with and without children doesn't disappear or at least isn't so skewed? What can employers do? That's a very important question, and I'm so glad that you've brought it up there, Elise. I think, first of all, I know that all of these organizations out there are providing some form of support and to the best of the organization's resources. And we definitely want to further advocate for more resources of that. But at the same time, we need to be mindful of that not all organizations are able to commit the level of resources. An organization that's internationally scaled, they might be able to provide more support as compared to a papa and mama shop that they themselves are struggling on financial bottom lines. So I think we are probably talking across different type of organizational situations where every organization would have a different approach to that. But I think across the board, there are three forms of support that we are seeing through research that are mentioned by individuals as really helpful to them. I think one of them, first of all, is definitely in terms of time, right? In terms of whether it's paid leave or unpaid leave. And or in addition to that, it could be work and family balance type of work commitment adjustments. These are run like kind of individual shifts, designs, or their time commitments so that during this critical phase of transitioning, they will be able to provide more options and they will be able to have more time for them to pick up, to really transit and balance out their different roles. I think that's very important. And especially when they're able to receive financial benefits while taking some time away from work, it will be really helpful for these individuals, especially for these individuals who have that need. I think the other type of support or resources that will be really helpful is flexibility. And we see flexibility coming in really critical for individuals who are transitioning back to work. So during that phase of their life, they're probably really picking up on child caring. They're getting ready to go back to the workplace. But at the same time, they still have some need in terms to balance their time commitments. So this is where if the organizations are willing or are able to provide a more flexible mode of work, allowing them to work at home remotely, allowing them to work out of their regular hours, but to get their assignments down, they are able to work according to their life schedules. I think that flexibility definitely helped individuals to navigate back to work. And now, in addition to that, what we also seeing is this informal sense of support. And that type of support doesn't necessarily have to come from the organization as a top-down approach, but it can be encouraged by the organization for individuals sharing similar experiences or who have had that experience to work together, form a more like a coalition and supporting each other, letting each other know that what are some of the resources that you probably not not aware of, but I know I've gone, I've been there. I've had that kind of benefit there, and it was really helpful for me. I think that kind of supporting and understanding culture, as encouraged by the organization, we found it to be truly beneficial. And specifically, the sense of mentorship that can really help out individuals. And I they will feel, I will feel encouraged, right? I will feel that I'm heard, I'm seen. 
And I think that sense is really powerful for individuals to get through. We touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to delve into it a little more deeply. What about the support of partners and families and friends? Are there any tips that you've gained from your research that we could share with our listeners about things that they can do to really optimize the experience of working caregivers? I think that's a very important, a great question, right? It's not only about your professional support, but it's really social support at home. This is really a very important time for individuals. And you specifically highlighting working moms, after childbirth, there is a significant time period, right? There's a significant amount of work to do in terms of healing, right? Physical recovery and so on. So with that regard, I think open communications up front and having communications with each other in terms of their time commitments after or during this critical phase, I think it's so important. And With that said, I think sometimes for young families, what is coming up is that they probably are not quite sure about what's coming up to them. So this is where, whether it's reaching out to families or friends who have experienced that a little bit ahead of them and asking for tips and having interactions with them and asking them to share some thoughts, their experiences are really critical for you to understand a realistic picture of what's coming up. And what we also see is that particularly for females going through and after childbirth, there is this constant inner conflict of feeling guilty, right? I feel like I'm taking too much time off from work, or I feel that I really need to do this. I really need to take care of this another chore at home but they're really not paying adequate attention to self-care. And I think to that regard, that also applies to other scenarios where people really putting others ahead of themselves. But really, if you cannot take care of yourself, it's really inhibiting our power to love and take care of others. So I think having that conversation with each other and be realistic about your own needs I think that's really important. Otherwise, there will be times where you're exhausted, you're stressed out, and this will not help out for you to better love others. And this is where also more conflicts will come up. So I think having open communications and understand what's coming up, but at the same time, also understand the need for self-care. These are very important. That's what we learned there as well. I feel like that's a perfect transition into our listener questions. The first listener question has a lot to do with what you were just speaking about, Lori. So this is from Steve in California. Steve writes, how do you effectively set down your workday and pick up your role as a parent? For that, I have to thank my commute. (laughs) So I think my commute is my perfect cushion zone. When I decide about the three different spheres of my world, this is like my time. So like whether it's a pop song that I really like, right? (laughs) Or whether it's a book that I've always wanted to finish, this is the perfect time that I listen to that and in the car and enjoy my own time. And I think that cushion zone is really a perfect merge connecting my professional world and then to my role as a parent. I think that's just so precious to me. And this is just really so helpful. And the other thing is that I like to understand my time commitments 
to my professional world and my children um, as choose clearly defined times. So meaning that my time of workday and my role as a parent, I try my best to not blur them. But that could be hard, right? Because these days as whenever there's a snow day or flexible instruction day, as I am experiencing today, right? This could come in a conflict. So I think this is where you actually have to take care of your work responsibility and your role as a parent almost at the same time. I think this is where it's more challenging. And again, this is where I'm so thankful for my husband to support me and we're able to support each other to go through these more challenging times, but also understand that whenever I'm with the child, I'm not with work. And when I'm with the work, I'm not with the child. I think this is like also organizational flexibility comes in to help a lot. Oh my gosh, I love that. And then I also was thinking about how people working from home can still establish boundaries. It just sometimes (laughs) requires a little more flexibility and might not be that boundary in space or time. And I love that you talk about those demarcation lines because I think that is so important. Our next question is from Lane in West Virginia. And Lane writes, for millennials and Gen Zs in particular, the stigma around parenthood is that your life ends when you have kids. What do you feel is fueling this widely held sentiment and how can it be shifted? I think that's a very important question. Of course, every individual has your own choice, right? I can choose to define whether I want to become a parent or not. But when there is a wider social stigma against parenthood in the sense that parenthood will prevent me from being an effective leader down the road of prohibiting me from my my other type of growth. I think this is where we need to pay more attention to it. And I think I would like to like really point it down to this importance of wider policy advocacy. And a lot of that is really related to the challenges and realistic, tangible challenges that families and individuals are facing in raising kids. And a lot of that can be relieved and resolved if we have a better support framework and support framework for public services, for educators and for caregivers. And when that comes in, I think gradually this will also alleviate a lot of burdens from young parents and that kind of stigma also will go away. So that's my personal opinion regarding this question here. But I think in addition to that, There's also a need for more conversations around how parenthood not only takes your time away, but energizes you. And this is actually my own personal feeling. I feel I learned a lot from both of my kids. And I feel like I learned the ability to relive the world through their perspective. It's really such a fortune. Otherwise, I would always be in my own little world of understanding things in this and that way. But being able to talk to my kids and understanding their perspectives really helped me, giving me new inspirations through maybe it's a new research idea, or maybe this is going to be a new way that I can talk to people, that I can communicate with people. I learn a lot from both of my boys, and I hope this general consensus can be shifted and changed into looking into how parenthood energizes us 
and makes us also better individuals and make us better employees and better leaders at work. I think we definitely need to have more work to do there. I love that you spoke about that, like the perspective shift, the curiosity, the energy. Ebony writes with a question that I think really speaks to both the energy and the limited nature of time. And so Ebony writes, lots of parents dream of starting their own business or figuring out another way to escape their nine to five jobs to spend more time with their children. The irony is this often leads to parents needing nights and weekends to get their business idea off the ground. How can parents both work on their dreams and still show up for their children in the ways that are needed? I think this is a great question. And having children and sharing that dream with your children, I think there's really nothing better than that, right? You have a dream, but at the same time, if you're able to share and build this dream together with your children, I think that would be the best thing in the world. But the reality is it needs time commitments. So this probably involves a lot of sacrifices after you're tucking your children into the bed. This is where you go in front of the computer and get that part of your work done. And probably that will mean like sacrifices of your sleep time there as well, right? So I think definitely having a realistic understanding of time commitments before starting this. I think it's definitely very important. But I think at the same time, having an open conversation with your partners, with your wired family, in terms of where you would really need their help and how they can help you to get everything work out, I think that's definitely very important. And in addition to that, I think raise children as well as developing a new organization, a new business. One thing that's shared in common is building an ecosystem around it. So at the work, when you're building a business, it's the same build, right? You're trying to work through your suppliers or working through your partners or working through your business customers or working with your distribution chains. Whatever angle it is, I think you need to build a team, a mechanism out there so that you can support each other's needs for work-family balance. And I think this is also a perfect time as a business leader, as a business owner, to establish your own culture, right? This is where you pick the line and establish your own business culture in terms of how you respect family and work balance there. I think in the end, everything will work out. Will be a challenging path, but everything will work out if we work as one. We're open to these communications and sharing of thoughts. Thank you so much. We have a question from Claire in New Jersey. And Claire writes, having a disabled or neurodivergent child adds an extra layer of complexity to being a parent and poses real challenges, especially if resources are scarce. Where should new parents go for support for their children with special needs if they can't afford top-of-the-line treatment or care? I think this is probably the most challenging situations that any family would have. You see your little one is in need of extra care. So where can we find them? I think in addition to all these medical supports or top of the line treatment or care, gladly our society still builds, provides a lot of opportunities and resources out there, whether it's public services that's provided to you through your school district or through the various organizations around your residency. There are also many support groups of similar families out there. 
So whenever you have a situation like that, this is where families sharing the similar challenges, they can share information to each other. So for example, a lot of medical forums out there that's related to specific medical needs, this is where parents are able to share a lot of tips with each other, whether it's at home physical therapy or exercises that you can do with your with your children, or whether it's a nutritional plan that they found out has worked out better to maintain the physical wellness of their children. A lot of information sharing that is happening around in the internet world. And I think that's one of the beauty of social media and internet, right? It's able to help us connect with each other and sharing that information with each other. I think that's where it's you will be really be able to find a lot of help there. And I think public services and also support in your local groups, this as well. Also, you will be able to get a lot of social work support for family in these kind of situations. And that's my biggest shout out to these families. You are going through probably a more challenging time than others but it's definitely a more challenging time that you can make you and your family stronger. And thank you so much for all the hard work that you do there. And thank you for the answer. I think it's really so important to look for both local and extended opportunities for support, for intervention. We will put some links to various organizations in the show notes, but I think as you highlighted, Lori, the needs, the disabilities, the levels of care can be very diverse depending on people's situations, depending on people's geography and proximity and financial resources. And so we will put a few links in the show notes, but by no means a comprehensive picture. And hopefully people can look to their own communities and supports and do their own searching for the answers that they need that will help their particular family situation. I'd love to move into some audio questions now, Lori, if you don't mind, we have a listener call-in question that I'll play and then you can answer that. Hi, how can parents and co-parenting situations create healthy lifestyles for themselves and their children when there is the added stress of shared custody or other types of shared parenting agreements? Thanks. So I think this is a very important situation. Again, not all families are made the same way, but all families are able to connect with each other through love. And I think this is a situation, actually, I think there's need to have more research around it. I haven't personally done research around it, but I think from all family educational settings kind of perspective, I think, again, we can go back to the very importance of some of the basic elements there. I think one thing is that we're all working around the children. For children's growth, the most important thing is the sense of security or love. So we will have a lot of shared time across different parents, but being able to provide the child the sense of security that both of my parents love me and I'm just being loved in a different way. And I think that sense of security and making them feel more assured, I think that's very important that for us to pay attention to while we're communicating with each other to work together. But at the same time, it's important to respect the differences, but at the same time, establish a sense of consistency. I think that happens whether it's a shared custody family 
setting or whether it's just a parenting situations where probably both of the parents probably have a little bit of differences in certain specific topics or approaches to education. I think this is where upfront communication is so important to establish that consistency in the first place. And whenever this inconsistency is there, we know that it could be very confusing for children, and especially for younger children. When you get mixed signals, this is where you probably get confused as a young mind: of where do I go, and what should I do? Right. So I think working together to establish the sense of security and establish consistency in terms of common values and behaviors, whether it's a to-do or not to-do kind of list, I think this is where communication is really critical to make sure that we are functioning based on top of that. What an important question. I know we spoke to some step-parents in this episode and some people who are divorced and navigating those situations. And I think there are particular challenges and also perhaps particular benefits and enrichment. You know, as you mentioned, when children feel loved and so much good can come out of situations that might be non-traditional. So thank you for those reminders. And we have one more listener call-in question that we'll just play. Many adults struggle with losing themselves once they become parents. How can parents show up for their kids and their spouses and still retain their own individual identity? I think this is a really a great question. And I think there's so many times that people forget that besides being a parent and besides having my own family obligations and besides my professional obligations, I still have this myself there to take care of, right? Again, this will go back to time, right? And it's I think there's also this sense of don't feel guilty about committing some time for self-care. You are a parent. You are an individual of social importance to other people in different situations. But in the end, you are yourself, right? So it definitely, I think, first of all, get rid of the sense of guilt out there and really sit down and plan out some time for yourself across everyday schedule. And whether it's a one hour exercise time and whether it's you're doing yoga or you're going out, taking out a walk or you're trying to maybe find a time for you to cool down uh, and kind of calm down before bed every night. Maybe it's your own personal reading time, your own music time. I will say consciously plan and schedule a time for yourself. I think that's so important. And of course, every day, everyone's schedule is different. Everyone's work situation or your family situation is different. But I think being able to sit down and giving yourself this conscientious mindset of I need this time for myself and also communicate clearly with your children and with your family. I think that as well as working your working partners out there, I think it's so important and consciously devote that time for yourself. I think I think that will be the number one step, but the most important step out there to go. Thank you so much for that answer. Thank you for the question. What a a challenge and an invitation to those listening who are parents to really do that for themselves and for their children. Lori, is there anything that either I or the listeners did not ask you that you'd want to share? 
I think these are really great questions. And to be honest with you, I feel like I am benefiting from these questions. And as a young parent, I'm learning as well. And I'm so glad to be given the opportunity to be here today, Darlis, to learn with our audience and also really communicate and share these thoughts together. It takes a village to raise a kid. But I think it also takes a lot of efforts, both within and outside ourselves, to raise ourselves, right? So I think that individual attention, going back to the systems around you, and also to your own well-being, I think it's something that every single one of us need to pay attention to and dedicate conscious efforts to. And in the end. Only when we're all better individuals, and we will be better parents, and we will also become better leaders in our own professional fronts. And shout out to all the working parents out there! Thank you so much for all the work you do, and thank you for making our world a better place. Thank you for the work that you do. And how can people who are listening learn more about you, about your work, and support you, and/or be in connection and relationship with you, Lori? I can be reached at laurie.wu@temple.edu, and I would definitely appreciate any opportunities out working with organizations, associations, or individuals as we work together in advocacy for our better worlds through parenthood. At the beginning, I asked about why you do this work that you do, but why should others, child-free and those with children? Be invested in the topic of navigating parenthood and working simultaneously. Why should people be invested in that? I think, bottom line wise, we are raising a generation, right? And we're always raising the future generations as a human community, right? And, and the entire bigger family that we all share. In that regard, whether my own individual choice is to become a parent or not, in the end, I am always part of this bigger society, right? So I think this is where we can support each other and to help out each other to raise the future of human species. And I think there's really nothing more important than that. So I think that's definitely something all of us need to work together on. Regardless of our own individual choices or beliefs, this was really rich. I know listeners will get a lot out of our time together, so thank you. And we will put Lori Wu's contact information in the show notes so that listeners you can reach out to Lori directly for opportunities for collaboration and connection. And so, thank you all. Thank you, Dalise, and thank you so much for having me. Can we move forward differently? To foster greater equity, even if we don't always understand fairness, we can and should demand. Let's embrace one another, single colleagues, working mothers, people of all points of view. Can we see each other through? I really appreciated Lori's mixture of data-driven responses and her positivity. I think doing a deep dive with one person who studied an issue in depth is really so special. And speaking of in-depth explorations, I know we touched on this a little earlier, but has either this episode or listening to my chat with Lori changed your understanding of this topic or inspired you to take any action? I know Zach, you mentioned a little bit, but yeah, care to elaborate? One of the things that I wouldn't say, quote unquote, changed my perspective, but was very eye-opening to me was this philosophy Lori mentioned about the value of parenting 
versus professional endeavors. And that was really impactful for me because as you know, Darylise, my endeavors and what I want to do business-wise are huge. I have great dreams of where I want to end up professionally. And I have had no limitations on trying to achieve these dreams over the last eight plus years, partially because we don't have children. I've had the freedom to have meetings at whatever hour of the night to work 60, 70 hour weeks. And I don't know how I'll feel when I have to cut that back when I become a parent. And I feel for single parents, those who are trying to become the best professional they can be to earn more money to support their family, but they don't have support at home when it comes to parenting. So everything is on them. Not having that support, like I I even feel kind of confident now that if we had a child this year and I realized I had to take some time off work when I did need to put more time in, my wife got it. Like she'll take care of everything and I don't have to worry. I don't wouldn't have that luxury if I was a single parent. So it was more so bringing that to the forefront of my mind that regardless of whether you're a parent, single parent, you have a spouse and you are parenting, whatever the scenario is, it's going to have an impact on your work regardless, or the future of your work or where you can actually take your career. You hope that it's not such an impact that it makes you slide back in your career, but I now realize that that could happen. So definitely something that opened my eyes when, when hearing Lori speak. Yeah, I think for me, I have several friends who are parents. My mom is a parent and family members that are parents. And I think oftentimes you hear people say, you're never fully ready. So like you can prepare and read all of the books, but you're never fully ready. But I think that as someone who doesn't have children yet, but I do want them someday, having a resource like this that allows multiple voices to be amplified, multiple experiences to be amplified, it puts me in a position to say, okay, so now I have that much more of an understanding of how I need to prepare on the things that I can prepare for. And so for me, I'm just thinking when that time comes for myself, I want to make sure that I'm being very intentional with choosing the right organization for me. So knowing that I'm someone who in the future wants this, I want to make sure that any organization that I'm a part of moving forward for my career is going to be an organization that should that day come while I'm working at that organization, I'll be supported in the way that means the most to me, right? That That is best for my circumstances. So being intentional with that. And then also just being at an intentional place in life where I'm setting myself up as best as possible, because again, I don't think anyone ever gets it 100% right. To be a parent who is at a good place in my career, a good place in terms of my mental health and what I have to give to being someone's parent. So just that intentional piece is something that I'm taking away from this because a lot of these stories can be taken as quite daunting. Honestly, yes. <laughs> I was listening and I was like, sheesh, I don't even know like how I'm going to fit in a gym session in my life right now, let alone a child. But I think that intentional piece is going to be important for me personally. And speaking of intentionality, what are you hoping listeners might do differently after listening to that episode? I think it's an age old discussion in terms of people who choose to not have kids or maybe can't have kids versus the people who have kids in the workplace. Yeah. So I would just encourage listeners to respect other people's current circumstances or life decisions and for companies to do the same. I think that companies need to create policies and cultures that really respect that some people want to be parents, some people don't, some people can't. And how can they create policies and cultures around 
supporting people no matter where they are on that spectrum and then encouraging the other employees to respect each other and where they're at on those spectrums. So it's all about respect for me. And that's what I'm definitely hoping people take away from this episode. What about you, Zach? That's a great point. And for me, I'll, I'll go on the other side. I do think there needs to be the culture that supports all of those different sectors of people that you mentioned, but also one that understands everybody who is dealing with anything with their parents, they're in a, a scenario or a situation that is new to them. No one goes into having to take care of your parents as if you were taking care of a child and being prepared for it, even if you have children. It's a very difficult thing to do. I think right now, what, baby boomers are 80s, 80s and 90s. So there's a lot of people in the workforce who have parents that need assistance and guidance, whether it be daily, weekly. Not everyone can afford to have a parent in an assisted living facility. I'm telling you right now, it is expensive and we are struggling even taking care of that. I speak more to to companies and decision makers at companies when I talk about what people listening could change or do. But be more sensitive to the fact that an employee taking care of a parent, sometimes it is even more stressful than a child because they know what to expect You know, when you're raising a child. We've all been there. We don't know what to expect when a parent all of a sudden is having incontinence issues and you have to be the one to go help them out or they're just not taking their medication and you don't find out until there's an emergency. It's a different ballgame. And I don't know if the majority of companies acknowledge that and can appreciate that and the impact that that has on a worker. So I think focusing on that, building cultures that support people in those situations that would be a big thing I would want listeners to start to do. Hey, listeners, Zach James here, partner and marketing manager of the Demystifying Diversity podcast. And I wanted to share with you some of the great things we're doing in the DEI space. Since the beginning of 2020, myself, Darylise, and our DEI team have facilitated numerous corporate trainings, engaging workshops, one-on-one coaching sessions, and so much more, both virtual and in person. To find out how you can work with us, whether you are an individual or representing an organization, school, corporation, or any other type of group seeking diversity, equity, and inclusion education, head over to DemystifyingDiversityPodcast.com backslash DEI services to send us a message or to fill out our DEI survey. Darylise is a DEI subject matter expert, having interviewed over 300 people, becoming a TEDx speaker, as well as the author of Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. Together, we can help you up-level your DEI skills to improve your productivity, profitability, and interpersonal relationships. So connect with us at demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com backslash DEI services and get yourself a copy of Darylise's book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. And don't forget the workbook too. Happy learning. You all mentioned, you know, sensitivity and respect. I think about empathy and and the need for companies to really care about people who are caregivers, whether that is parents or taking care of an older parent or relative. But I'd love to know what are some tangible things that companies can do? Because I think it really helps to have that emotional support. But logistically, people are like, how can how can companies actually provide tangible support that makes an impact. So I'm not sure all the details of FMLA. I know that my wife has taken it during our fertility journey a few times, but if taking care of a a parent also qualifies, if it doesn't, I would like to see that be something that could be changed. Quite frankly, I would love it if you could have a, a week of 
paid time off to take care of, of parental needs. But at least if it was something that, you know, hey, I can take time away to handle this very important issue with my parents or parent, and it's not going to impact me having my job, I think that's something that could be a tangible change that could happen now. That paid piece is so big, Zach. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would just I would just say I would encourage companies to look outside of really look outside of Western culture because there are several countries like I heard once that Iceland has this incredible I'm pretty sure you don't quote me on this, but you have to take time off when you mm-hmm. have a child. I would encourage companies to look at other countries, other states, whatever it might be other companies that are doing it right. And by that, I mean, like, they can show that we're providing this much of leave time that's paid or required or whatever it might be. And we're also seeing that because of that, because of this, this healthy, positive culture, we get this much greater percentage of work productivity and happy employees, right? So model after what's already working, because we know that what is in the the trend in the United States right now around parenting and caregiving benefits, it's not working. So model after what is, but this has been going on for so long that we like, let's start really making change, right? Because people are just going to continue to become parents and caregivers and the companies are not necessarily adapting quick enough with where society is moving. I love what you shared about modeling after what does work. And I think about how what does work is to provide tangible resources for people, right? Because I, you know, I know we wrap up each of these episodes, these Q&A episodes talking about privilege and intersectionality and inequity and identity and how that complicates these things. And when it comes to something like parenting, it really does make a difference whether or not someone has economic resources, social support structures in place to take some of the pressure off. And so I'd love, Azaria, for you to just talk for a moment about how intersectionality and privilege impact people's ability to parent effectively and also move forward in their careers. I listened to another podcast recently about the nutritional crisis that kids are facing. And one of the things that they talked about was this researcher surveyed mothers who were on the wealthier side of things and mothers who were living in very low income situations. And just the differences, the parallel that you did or did not see between those two different demographics, one being that while wealthier mothers were able to say no to junk food and that that felt good because they were encouraging their kids to be healthy. The psychology on the end of the spectrum with mothers who were in lower income areas was completely different. In fact, the researcher found that mothers who are struggling financially they have to say no to so much because, you know, kids ask for so much toys and all of that that are expensive. They have to say no to so much that this cheap cheeseburger from whatever fast food joint that I can afford, that's one thing that I get to say yes to. And it's this psychology of not wanting to be a bad mom. So if there's only a few things I can say yes to, then I'm going to take advantage of that because I want to be a good mom and I want my kids to feel like I want the things that they want for themselves at times too. So There's this real difference that impacts how parenting happens depending on what different level of intersectionality you have in your identity. And I think that that specifically talking about in the workplace, that needs to be taken into account by these employers who set 
standards for one type of parenting in one type of circumstance, but that's not realistic for really anyone. And so intersectionality, like I always say, changes up a person's scenario by night and day, depending on who it is, where they're at, what it is. And these policies that are in place need to take that into account. What is the name of that podcast? I feel like we should put a link to that in the show notes. It was on Code Switch. I think it's like how the other side eats. It was phenomenal. And it looked at also the whole argument about like a food desert and how that actually only contributes to 10% of the nutritional crisis that the nation is seeing in certain areas, that these other factors play a big part of it as well. And parenting was a lot of that issue. Wow. Well, we will put a a link to that in the show notes. I'm excited to delve in deeper. I know we could talk about this for hours more and still not be done with this subject, but hopefully we've given you listening a lot to think about. And we'd love to hear your thoughts and your questions. So please write us or call in. And FYI, for those who do write us and who do call in, we're giving out a free copy of the book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity to one listener or caller during every Q&A episode. So the winner for this episode is Azaria. Care to do the honors? Drum roll. Congratulations, Henry Lee, who called in with a question in a prior episode. Awesome. Thank you so much to everyone who subscribed to the newsletter and calls and writes us with questions like Henry did. And make sure you're following us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We'll be answering some of your questions there too. And of course, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening in more than 50 countries around the world. We really appreciate it. If you want to contact today's expert, Lori Wu, she can be reached at lori.wu at temple.edu. And we'll put that info in the show notes as well. And while you're checking out our show notes, be sure to click the link for DemystifyingDiversityPodcast.com to subscribe to our newsletter and learn about our DEI trainings, workshops, coaching, consulting, and of course, our other DEI services. Yeah, the newsletter is huge. We're doing so much more on socials this season. So connect with us, connect with Sedwick, and get involved and engage. Get your employer engaged. Or if you are an employer, hopefully this podcast will support you in creating more inclusive workplace culture. And as always, every episode of the Demystifying Diversity podcast is written, reported, and produced by Darylise Lyons. With the invaluable assistance of co-collaborator and marketing manager, Zach James, Azaria Keys, assistant director of Sedwick, co-producer and coordination consultant, assistant producer and editor, Paul Kondo, production and development assistant, Stuart Cranes, and content editor and creative collaborator, Sunny Taylor. The music you heard is Demystifying Diversity, an original composition, the lyrics of which were written by Darylise Lyons in collaboration with Ramon Beeftink, who also created all the music and performed vocals and instrumentals. Thank you again to Lori Wu and to you for listening to this. And thanks, Zach and Azaria. This was a really great episode. Please be sure to join us next week, where we'll be talking about moving beyond biases, a humanistic approach. You will not want to miss that. Be sure to tune in. And in the meantime, let's keep trying to make this a better, more inclusive world.